There is a sizable geopolitical shift happening in the United States, and I'll tell you why I'm calling it that in just a moment. The website Move Buddha usually helps you find moving companies, uh, ship vehicles, and calculate the cost of moving, but they recently conducted a poll on relocation and released a report on 2023 moving trends asking, why are Americans moving right now? They answer that question in part by saying, whether it's retirement, remote work protocols, or in the face of inflation, we're witnessing new post-pandemic moving trends and patterns for movers nationwide, one where movers continue to seek out nature and affordability. Other than demonstrating in the data that Americans are leaving densely populated areas at double the rate they did before 2020, the study lists the top 10 states people are moving into and the top 10 states people are leaving. So I'm going to show you these lists and then we'll talk about them. The most popular states in 2023 are these 10 states. Some of them are surprising. In 10th place, we have South Dakota. In 9th is the state of Maine. In 8th place is Arkansas the first southern state on the list. Then in seventh place is my home state, Tennessee, another southern state. Then there's West Virginia in sixth place. And I'm not sure we can say West Virginia is a southern state because it's more mid-Atlantic. In fifth place, and to no one's surprise, is the state of Montana. Fourth is North Carolina, another southern state, but the second coastal state on the list so far. Now, here's your top three states. Third place was surprising, but that's the state of Alaska. Surprising because I would assume a move to Alaska would be quite challenging, but trust me, I, I understand the attraction. Alaska is beautiful. In second place is the islandish state of Hawaii. That one would be pretty obvious. And finally, the most popular state Americans are moving to is South Carolina. I know I was surprised by that too. But now let's look at the top 10 states people are moving out of. Ready? In 10th place is the state of Pennsylvania. Ninth is Louisiana, the only southern state on the list. Eighth place is Massachusetts. Seventh is Nebraska. Sixth is Illinois. Fifth is Maryland. Fourth is Ohio. And then here's your top three states Americans are leaving or moving out of. Connecticut is the third least popular state, losing nearly 90,000 residents last year. New Jersey is second place. Notice how many northern states that we have on this list. But finally, the most popular, the, the most unpopular state to live in, the most popular state to leave is, you guessed it, California. Now get this. California lost more than 343,000 residents just last year. And, you know, just think about the businesses that also left the state. But that's just in 2022. In 2020, under Gruesome Newsom's COVID policies, almost 700,000 residents left. So hundreds and hundreds of thousands are leaving each year. Now, the reasons they cited for this shift, according to Move Buddha, are retirement, remote work, 
inflation, nature, and affordability. Those are the reasons for both for the both the, the coming in and the going from these these uh, twenty states and the rest. But would you say those reasons are fully definitive? I don't think so. What about safety? How about the, the, the well-being of your family? How about education policies? In fact, when you look at these two lists, one list is almost entirely blue and the other in, entirely red. In other words, people are leaving blue states in droves to come to red states. And if we sit the, the party nomenclatures aside, blue states tend to be overreaching in regulation, uh, tyrannical in policy, and burdening in economics, while red states are the exact opposite in all of those things. Now, as a member of one of these receptive red states in Tennessee, I humbly ask all of you newcomers to realize the fundamental reason for all of the evils you are fleeing. The people who inform public policies are called politicians, and the people of your former state granted them the opportunity to ruin what you once called home. In other words, welcome to Tennessee, just don't vote for liberals. I'm Blake Watson, and this is We the Free. Tuesday was election day for several states in America, Kentucky, Mississippi, Virginia, Ohio, Rhode Island, and New York. Why should we care or or talk about it? Because we're the United States of America. There is no state that does not affect the rest, and state politics can be indicative of national politics. So what happened on Tuesday? Kentucky re-elected their Democrat governor, Andy Beshear, Tate Reeves, a Republican in Mississippi, was elected governor there. Uh, Democrats won full control of the state house in Virginia. That's going to make Glenn Youngkin's job uh, more difficult for sure. Rhode Island elected its first black congressman, Gabe Amo or Amo, a uh, Democrat that was added to the House of Representatives. But the biggest news is that Ohio voters amended their state constitution to guarantee Ohioans the right to murder their babies and smoke marijuana. When the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, it simply kicked the issue of abortion from the federal level to the state level. This election in Ohio and and what they did there is a consequence of that. It's why many Americans, like myself, want to criminalize abortion on the national level. The Supreme Court is not our legislative body. Congress is. They don't make laws. And while Trump wants to avoid this issue like the plague, I think we now have the leadership in Congress to accomplish this. But until then, Ohioans may want to consider living somewhere else, somewhere where you won't get secondhand stoned and you don't have to live in the company of child butchers wherever you turn. Or you can stay and fight against the death cult. Just know that the FBI isn't very fond of Christians praying in front of a murder clinic. So just be wise as serpents 
yet innocent as doves. Wednesday night, the GOP conducted its third presidential debate. NBC showed that it is far better at managing a debate than Fox or Telemundo. The candidates played nicer, they were allowed to fully answer a question, and they weren't treated like children. But once again, the debate didn't tell you anything you didn't already know, and Donald Trump is still over 40 points ahead of the leading man at the debates, Governor DeSantis. We've talked about the last two debates. I talked extensively and did a full review of the first debate, and I briefly did a review of the second debate. There's nothing new here. The last time we had Republican primary debates, they were boasting over 20 million viewers a pop, just about. Uh, The first debate this year, though, was almost half of that at 12.8 million viewers. The second debate dropped to around 9 million viewers, and I haven't seen the ratings for last night's debate, but I'm going to assume that they're even lower. They're trending downward. And why is that? Well, because the greatest showman is absent. 24 million people tuned in to watch Donald Trump in 2015, and he hasn't shown up to a single debate because this year because he doesn't have to, and, and it would be a bad political move for him to participate. So the ratings are on a steep decline while Trump's numbers are on a steep incline. I've got a bunch of updates for you in regard to the Israel-Hamas war, but before I begin, before I begin with the, the first story, um, I was thinking this week about how insane it is for anybody anywhere to believe any of the reporting coming from the terror regime, Hamas. I mean, we're being constantly updated on the death toll numbers, um, how many Palestinians have died versus how many Israelis have died. Uh, They report that Israel has blown up a refugee camp. They report that Israel has blown up a hospital, that they're killing women and children, that they blew up an ambulance, that they're preventing humanitarian resources from reaching the Palestinian people. And all of it is coming from the mouths of the same people who chant, death to Israel and death to America. The same people who torture their own people. The same Islamic terrorist group who killed and injured and raped and murdered and decapitated and pillaged thousands of Israels on October 7th, not to mention the endless barrage of missiles that they have fired for years. And yet, we're supposed to believe what that same group is reporting? Don't buy it, folks. This is what propaganda is, and Hamas is using it to their advantage. They want, and quite frankly, need the support of the Western world. So they lie and manipulate in order to make them look like the oppressed, while Israel is made to be the evil oppressor. Now, here's one thing that Hamas tactically accomplished for the purposes of propaganda, and their own protection. I'm about to play you some audio of a phone call between an IDF officer and a Gazan civilian. Before I play this, we have to understand Israel's objective. They were specifically attacked by a terrorist organization. They immediately declared war against them. 
and they vowed to destroy them. In other words, Israel's central focus is eliminating them from existence, as they should. They're doing so in order to preserve the lives of Israelis and, by expansion, those who live elsewhere in the free world. That means they will kill as many terrorists as possible, and they will destroy their infrastructure, their bases of operation. And guess where they are and where these things are located? Northern Gaza. Now, as I've said numerous times on the show, Hamas uses civilians on purpose as human shielding. So it is to their benefit to prevent people from leaving northern Gaza. Yet, before all this counteroffensive began, Israel dropped thousands of leaflets from the sky and into northern Gaza, instructing Gazans to leave the area. Why did they do that? Because they're not a bunch of genocidal maniacs like the Islamic resistance movement. Now, you can literally pull up photos and videos of Gazans lined up in their cars for miles trying to leave the area. But there's something wrong. The Times of Israel reports the Israeli Defense Forces released an audio recording of an officer speaking to a Gazan man during which he describes how Hamas is preventing people from evacuating from the northern part of the Gaza Strip and even shooting at them. The IDF says soldiers have been calling Palestinians in northern Gaza in recent days, instructing them to leave the area for their safety as the military intensifies strikes in the Gaza City area. In the newly released call, the IDF officer can be heard calling on the man to head toward Khan Yunus in southern Gaza, but the Gazan responds by saying, Hamas is blocking all the roads. Here is the audio from that call. I will translate for those of you listening on audio. The officer says, is this Muhammad? He says, yes. He identifies himself. He says, in order to ensure your safety, I'm asking you to urgently go towards Khan Yunus. I don't want you to put yourself at risk. Now the Gazan says, all the roads are blocked. The officer says, your current location is unsafe. He asks, who blocked the roads? And the man replies, Hamas. He asks him where the roads were blocked and he tells him where. He asks him how they blocked the road, and the man says, they're sending everyone back home. He also says they're uh, using cars and troops to block them. The man says when people try to leave, they're being sent back home. The officer asks how they're blocking the route. He says they're shooting at people. What what are they shooting? Are they shooting at people trying to leave? The man replies, yes. So who's responsible for the civilian casualties in Gaza? Primarily, it's their own government, Hamas. Israel doesn't want those lives lost. That's why they're urging them to leave. 
No matter how much you spin it, that is the truth. But there are hundreds of Israelis and Americans being held hostage. So Israel is conducting its war against this evil regime. And as we discussed a couple weeks ago, the unfortunate reality of war is loss of civilian life. People will die as a consequence of proximity. And the ones responsible for this proximity is the terror regime, Hamas. Now, since we officially have a new House Speaker, Congress has been working hard to come up with some support, some sort of support for Israel, despite the Hamas supporting squad in the House. And I've already told you how much I I love the new Speaker. Uh, The more I learn about him, the more that I like him. But listen to this. They propose $14.3 billion in aid for Israel. And personally, the, the governmental spending and blind financial support for the likes of Ukraine has rubbed a lot of Americans, like myself, the wrong way. So the last thing most of us want is more and more spending to further decimate the American economy. But if we're going to support anybody in a situation like this monetarily, I would sign up to support Israel. Well, somehow they've figured out a brilliant way to do this by taking the funding from the IRS. And it may start with this Israel bill. I mean, I know the text just dropped. Sahil, what are we learning about what's in the Israel bill and the challenge it will put uh, Democrats and some of his Republican friends on the Senate side in when they bring this to the floor? So a couple of notable things about this Israel aid bill. The first is, as uh, you just pointed out, he's doing it as a standalone Israel aid bill, breaking off from the other uh, elements of the administration's sweeping funding requests. There won't be Ukraine aid as part of this. There won't be other measures involving, you know, containing China and border security. That's all for another day. The most notable thing about uh, about this bill is that Johnson is funding the $14.3 billion in aid to Israel with cuts to the Inflation Reduction Act, which is President Biden's signature legislative achievement over his first two years, specifically cuts to IRS enforcement that the administration says it'll use to beef up you know, tax collection against wealthy tax cheats. That is not going to fly in the Democratic Senate if it does pass the House. That is not something that Joe Biden is going to sign into law. And you already have Democrats blasting newly minted Speaker Johnson for politicizing a bipartisan cause. So what will the Democrat support be, if any at all? Well, the bill passed in the House. It was vetoed by Joseph Robinette Biden, otherwise known as uh, Robert L. Peters, a.k.a. the president. So what will happen now? Well, Daniel Chayton reports, 12 House Democrats joined with Republicans on Thursday to pass a White House-opposed plan to offset $14.3 billion in aid for Israel by slashing the same amount of funds meant for the Internal Revenue Service. The GOP measure to provide emergency aid to Israel as it fights Hamas passed by a 226 to 196 vote, sending the legislation to the Democrat-led Senate, where Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has already vowed not to bring it up for consideration. Now, this is the challenge. Bills can ultimately get their stamp of approval once they reach the Senate floor, but this is where Democrats are still in charge, unlike the Republican House. The question is, Will Democrats in the Senate show the same support as the Dems in the House did? Well, this is what Schumer said. Schumer announced earlier in the day the Senate would 
quote, work on our own bipartisan emergency aid package that includes funding for aid to Israel, Ukraine, humanitarian aid, including for Gaza and competition with the Chinese government. So he's proposing exactly what the president wants, a bloated bill to create lots of money to spend on lots of stuff. But the American people don't want that. That's why McCarthy is not the speaker anymore. That's why Mike Johnson is the speaker now. We are tired of you spending ridiculous amounts of our money that we work so hard for while you just show up to spend it. The article lists all 12 Democrats who showed their support. Representatives Angie Craig from Minnesota, Don Davis from North Carolina, Lois Frankel from Florida, Jared Golden from Maine, Josh Gottheimer from New Jersey, Greg Landsman from Ohio, Jared Moskowitz from Florida, Darren Soda from Florida, Haley Stevens from Michigan, Juan Vargas from California, Debbie Wasserman Schultz from Florida, and Frederica Wilson from Florida. I don't find myself commending Democrats very often, but way to go, guys and gals. One of those names was Lois Frankel from Florida. Here's what she had to say on the issue. The United States has a moral duty and national security urgency to aid Israel in defending herself. Make no mistake, Hamas terrorists and others in the region are out to destroy Israel and kill all Jews. We must send an unequivocal message to the world that we stand with Israel. Now listen to me carefully. The House Republicans and these 12 Democrats are not saying they don't want to continue funding for Ukraine against Russia or against China or for humanitarian aid for Gazans or whatever else. They're committed to making bills singular issues. In this instance, this is our new speaker saying, here is a bill on Israel. The president is the one who wanted this exact amount for Israel, the exact amount, $14.3 billion. Let's vote on that. We'll separately vote on everything else later. But this gives the people, the people's representatives an opportunity to make focused decisions, not to mention a safeguard against so much corruption. Speaker Johnson would go on to say, We are in dire straits as a nation. We want to protect and help and assist our friend Israel, but we have to keep our own house in order as well. We're going to do this in a responsible manner. So, if you're in one of the several states that are represented by one of the 48 Democrats or three independents, call their offices and tell them to pass this single legislation for supporting Israel. Now, why is it important to demonstrate this support for Israel? Because we must show Israel support in more than just words. It sends a message to the world that the most powerful country on the planet supports this tiny little country in the Middle East because speaking so would also send a strong deterrent message to the new axis of evil forming in the Eastern Hemisphere. You know who I'm talking about. The growing, festering alliance between Russia, China, and Iran, to name a few. Russia has, in the last couple weeks, while it, it is fighting to annex Ukraine, 
hosted a delegation from Hamas in Moscow. Putin offered no sympathy for Israel, and it's because of Russia's alliance with Iran. Now, in his first comments, instead of empathy, Putin blasting the U.S. This is a clear example of the failure of the United States policy in the Middle East, which tried to monopolize any settlement between Israelis and Palestinians. Kremlin-controlled TV following suit, mocking both America and Israel for allegedly being caught off guard by Hamas's attack. Mossad and its famous counterintelligence, as well as the U.S. and its CIA, slept through Hamas's invasion. It's the biggest Israeli failure in security since 1973. Russia has long been allied with Israel's staunchest adversaries and Hamas's most important backers, bombing Syrian rebels in support of pro-Iranian fighters battling on the side of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad during Syria's civil war. But Russia also maintained strong ties and security arrangements with Israel, Putin meeting Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on many occasions. We in no way uh, underestimate the importance uh, of uh, measures that would ensure uh, very strong security of the state of Israel. But since Putin launched his full-scale war against Ukraine, Tehran has become a key ally for Moscow at Israel's expense, fostering economic and military ties with Iran, while Tehran provides the Russian army with scores of Shahed drones the Russians use to hit Ukrainian cities and infrastructure, Kiev says, even though Tehran denies it. Last week, Russia's representative to the United Nations claimed that Israel does not have the right to defend itself, citing a United Nations ruling from 2004. This is from Article 51 of the UN Charter saying that Israel could not invoke self-defense against an occupied territory which Israel controls. But Newsmax points out Israel ceded control of the Gaza Strip in 2005, and it is governed by the Hamas terrorist organization, which has sworn to destroy Israel. Now, we're talking about deterring this new axis of evil. This is what else happened at the United Nations this week. Russia and China vetoed, Russia and China vetoed a U.S.-sponsored U.N. Security Council resolution condemning Hamas and calling for humanitarian pauses in the fighting between Israel and the Palestinian terrorist group in Gaza. A Russian resolution was also rejected that denounced Hamas, but also condemned indiscriminate attacks on civilians in Gaza and called for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. So you can clearly see this forming alliance between Russia, China, and Iran against America and its allies like Israel, and in more things than, than just this, but um, we have to send a very strong message, although in a much different form than what Biden has disastrously done with Ukraine. Now, one thing that's interesting in Russia's and Putin's statements, it's the exact same thing that liberals are saying in the U.S., but one year ago, the liberals would talk about what a monster Putin is, and yet now they're saying the same thing. They're on the same page. So what does it tell you, libs, radical progressives, that you and the monstrous, savage, blood-sucking Putin 
are preaching the same message when it comes to Israel. Now, speaking of alliances, just above Israel's northern border is the country of Lebanon, which hosts another Islamic terror group and another one of Iran's proxy militias known as Hezbollah. Their leader, Saeed Hassan Nasrallah, has warned of their involvement if Israel did not stop. They've already begun attacking Israel on the border, and this is what they had to say to us. You, the Americans, can stop the aggression against Gaza because it is your aggression. Whoever wants to prevent a regional war, and I am talking to the Americans, must quickly halt the aggression on Gaza. Don't you love how they frame it as Israel's aggression and America's aggression? But Reuters also said that Hezbollah, the spearhead of a Tehran-backed regional alliance hostile to Israel and the United States, did not fear the U.S. naval firepower Washington has assembled in the region since the crisis erupted. The Hezbollah leader denied Iran's involvement in anything. He also praised Hamas's attack, saying, No doubt it was brave, heroic, creative, perfect, massive operation commended at all fronts and at all levels. And the Daily Wire reports his connection of the United States to this issue, saying, The United States is totally responsible for the war raging in Gaza. It is the United States proving, once again, As described by Khomeini, it is the greatest Satan, the greatest devil. Now, speaking of devils and America, there is an actress in Hollywood who is absolutely being treated like one. And and for what reason? Because she's daring to have a screening of IDF footage showing the atrocities of October 7th. In fact, I mentioned her on last week's show. Her name is Gal Gadot. She's an Israeli actress and model who's had a a fairly successful career. She was Miss Israel in 2004 and competed for Israel at that year's Miss Universe pageant. After that, she served in the Israeli military as a combat fitness instructor. Her grandfather is literally a, a Holocaust survivor. She starred in the fourth and fifth Fast and Furious movies, but her her biggest role is as the modern version of Wonder Woman. And I suppose she's a more wonderful woman than any other actress in Hollywood right now because her Instagram and Twitter pages are literally filled with posts about all of the people who are being held hostage right now. Post after post after post for for her 109 million followers. Her bio says, stand with Israel in all caps, and she provides a link to donate to four or five different organizations. And now, she and her husband and an Israeli director named uh, Guy Nativ um, have scheduled a screening of almost an hour of IDF footage um, from October 7th, right in the middle of the deception capital of the world, Hollywood. The director said, As a filmmaker, I swore that these images of October 7th would not be forgotten and the world would see them. Because now the denial begins. We cannot pass by in silence. So his description is like that of the Holocaust. And just as people 
deny the reality of the Holocaust. They are now denying the reality of the genocide against the Jewish people. Now, I was devastated to learn that uh, I just I, I couldn't believe it. Um, to learn that because of all this, another actress, Anna de Armas, has unfollowed Gal Gadot on Insta- Instagram. Can can you believe it? Like I, I woe is me. But look, I I just want to commend this woman. Um, she's not perfect, and she doesn't have all the right ideas. But she seems like one of the few remaining classy actresses or celebrities left in the world. So maybe now I'll finally break down and watch Justice League. Getting quality, good-priced meat products is proving to be increasingly difficult these days. With inflation, the prices of everything in the store is going through the roof. When you make fuel more expensive, that costs the farmer more, it costs the shipper more, it costs the grocer more, and it costs you more. That's why you need to check out Good Ranchers. They'll ship directly to your house. They're 100% American beef, chicken, seafood, and pork. All, all sourced from independent farmers in the U.S. So check the link in my show notes and use the code RANCHER10, RANCHER10, for 10% off their best-selling Rancher's Classic box. It's been almost eight months since Audrey Hill, the 28-year-old trans-identifying psychopath, killed six people in a Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. Immediately following the tragic event, where three little kids were murdered and three adult staff members were killed, Tennessee and Nashville officials told us that there was a manifesto left behind by the lunatic. By that, they meant something written by the crazed woman explaining her motives. We were promised by the Nashville police chief, John Drake, that the manifesto would be released. He promised Governor Lee that, but... It never happened, and Lee has never said anything about it either. Now, I was on a radio show shortly after this happened, and I was asked about the manifesto, if I believed it would ever be released. And I said, probably not, because it would undermine the liberal narrative and agenda. I said that because I figured it was littered with the the new liberal intolerance, you know, hatred for Christianity, and the like. It turns out, I wasn't far off. Three images were leaked by a conservative podcaster and his investigative team showing somewhat of a schedule of the awful day with several comments and notes from Audrey Hale. Now, I try to keep the show as family-friendly as possible, so I'm going to censor some of these words, but here's some of what she allegedly wrote. If you're watching the video podcast, Take a look at the background behind the notebook and the purple gloves that are holding it up. This makes me think that these were photographs taken of the notebooks on the day of the event. But the the first image calls this planning, quote, death day. And the words are separated by the Umbrella Corporation logo from Resident Evil, Resident Evil is a, a series of games and, and movies in which the Umbrella Corporation is an international pharmaceutical company responsible for creating a bioengineered weapon or a virus which effectively created zombies all over the world and wiped out half of the population. 
Over the top of this logo, she wrote what looks like the words Dark Abyss, and this is right next to the drawing of a gun. And here's what she wrote. Today is the day. The day has finally come. I can't believe it's here. Don't know how I was able to get this far, but here I am. I'm a little nervous, but excited too. Been excited for the past two weeks. There was... There were several times I could have been caught, especially in the summer of 2021. None of that matters now. I'm almost an hour and seven minutes away. So she's literally writing this an hour before it happens. She's in disbelief that she's gotten this far. I'm curious to know what happened in the summer of 2021. Why haven't we heard about that? You can tell from this and from the initial police statements that she had been planning this for some time. She had maps of the school, etc. She also said, can't believe I'm doing this. I'm ready. I'm, I hope my victims are not. This is pure evil. Someone gleeful with excitement over murdering innocent little kids and others. She also said, my only fear is if anything goes wrong God, let my wrath take over my anxiety. Now, of course, it is sickening that she's praying for God's help in this, but she's praying for her fears to be replaced by her wrath. That sounds like revenge, vengeful talk, like this is payback or something. But she said, it might be 10 minutes tops. I hope I have a high death count, ready to die, Ha ha. I mean, this sounds like it was written by the Joker. On another page, and the second leaked image, she details the schedule for the day, saying, 7 a.m., get dressed, 9 a.m., eat breakfast, 9.30 a.m., pack up special belongings, 9.50 a.m., test knife, glass breaker, 10 a.m., leave for Royal Range, that's a shooting range in Nashville, at 10.20 a.m., Gear up and set up guns, assemble them in the trunk, and get out vest with mags inside. At 11.20 a.m., she writes, final videotape. I'm sure that a lot of us would like to see that. 11.35, leave for Covenant School. Arrive at noon. At 12.33, open fire towards southwest entrance, and then she writes, time to die, XXX. Now, there's one more image and one more page that was leaked, and it says several things about the motive. It's dated February 3rd, and she said, Kill those kids. Those crackers going to private fancy schools with those fancy khakis and sports backpacks with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. Bleep, you little bleeps. I wish to shoot you bleeps with your mop yellow hair. Want to kill all you little crackers. Bunch of little bleeps with your white privileges. Bleep you bleeps. Now, initially the police seemed to deny that these photos were legit. But then the new Nashville mayor, Freddie O'Connell, launched a whole investigation into the leaked documents, which basically proves the photos are legitimate photos of Audrey's journal. 
the manifesto. So what do we have here? We have a maniacal, trans-identifying white woman who apparently hates white Christians. Just take the writings of these three pages that, we see, that we've seen so far and the details of the event, and that's an easy deduction. Honestly, it's not surprising to see um, some of what we're seeing here. I'm surprised to not see something said of Christianity, but I think that that is spoken of in her actions. We know this girl attended school there, and this is where she specifically chose to attack. Any theories to attempt to connect uh, bullying of any sort seems highly unlikely. Um, any information I could find said that she only went to school there through the fourth grade, and the teachers described her as just a normal young lady, a typical student. Contrary to further claims, it turned out to be false that she was receiving counseling from the pastor there, whose daughter was killed that day. Hale seemed like a normal girl. And here's a couple of photos of, of Audrey with her mom and brother. Here's her senior photo. She apparently played basketball and ran track at her school, the, the National School of Arts, um, she was voted most athletic, and she apparently uh, very, very much loved playing uh, with this basketball team. And that fact is really important to the rest of the story. Now, at some point after graduating, she attended uh, Nasi College of Art in Nashville. Here, here she is in this picture receiving a certificate there. While she's attending school there, earning a degree in something related to graphic design, a former teammate of hers died in a car accident, which devastated Audrey. After this happened, teachers at the school reported a, a noticeable change in her. Um, she began to look different. She changed her name to Aiden and switched to using he, him pronouns. Here's what she looked like after all this happened. Completely different. Police said she was um, seeing a professional for an emotional disorder at this time. But about 15 minutes before the shooting happened, Hale sent a few messages to another girl she played basketball with. The messages said, I, want, I wanted to tell you first because you are the most beautiful person I have ever seen and known in all my life. My family doesn't know what I'm about to do. One day, this will make more sense. I've left more than enough evidence behind, but something bad is about to happen. Forgive me. So, there's a lot that can be said about this, but here's what we're going to say about it today. Here's how all of this adds up to me. And I'm, I'm going with all of the information that, that is out there that I could possibly find reading news report after news report, I see no presence of a father anywhere. Even though several reports refer to her parents, I can't find anything on a father. I think she was a homosexual. I think she was attracted to several of her teammates. But it was a faction of her that she kept hidden until the death of the woman that she loved, and maybe even stalked for years. She seems to have been tormented by literal demons 
She studied school shootings, of all things. She wanted to die, but she wanted to hurt others while she did it. The tragic death of her love interest broke the final piece of sanity that she had, and that's when she became trans and started going by a different name and pronouns. And how did all this happen? Well, I mean, who knows? But I can theorize. If she never had a father around, that plays a huge role. Everybody underestimates the power and influence of social media in the social contagion of transgenderism. And if you're not around artistic types, then you don't know how affirming they are of perverse sexualities. What is obvious, however, and part of the reason why I bring all of this up, is that she was clearly immersed into liberalism in her college years. Combine that with the toxicity of social media, and you've got a young, white lesbian who becomes transgender, hates white people, straight, Christian, patriarchy, and goes on a killing spree. I mean, haven't you noticed that most of the frontliners in all of these woke movements are just young white girls? And I've talked about critical theory before, but this is the fulfillment of critical theories like critical race theory. This is the result of cultural Marxism. The evil white people must be destroyed. The white oppressors must be overthrown because they, the bourgeoisie of America, are the devil. Even the Ayatollah Khomeini says so. So your light examples are, you know, whites and Asians being denied college admission, while your extreme examples are three nine-year-old students being mowed down by a crazed lesbian. The mother of this girl has been mobilized by the woke mob to champion the gun control movement. It's just like the story I talked about weeks ago about the student that Giles County has left in the school, even though he made death threats, a hit list, and has knowingly practiced shooting, etc. And the parents wanted the kid removed for their children's safety, yet what did the school board say? You need to go be a gun control activist because he's not the problem. Guns are the problem. No, liberalism is the surface-level problem. It is the political symptom of broken souls, such as Audrey, who are severely sick and eternally so. They create the perfect vessel for demonic control and influence, and that really shows us what we're to do with this. Of course, schools need more security, but more importantly, Christians are not evangelizing as much as they should. I keep saying this every single week in response to the news. Audrey's neighbors describe the family as very religious, but that seems to demonstrate that whatever that means and whatever church they belong to did a horrific job of discipleship with this girl and her family. So we need to evangelize better. Churches need to disciple better. Parents need to disciple better. Keep your kids off of social media. Strike the balance of of truth and grace with people just as Jesus did. 
have the guts to tell people the truth in love. Don't rejoice and affirm unrighteousness. And maybe, just maybe, we can avoid the next school shooting and prevent another social justice warrior from damaging society. A month or so ago, I reported on a Washington Post and ABC News poll which showed Trump leading Biden in several areas and gaining support in, in uh, uh, certain demographics, which George Stephanopoulos, an ABC anchor, ultimately reported on. And at that time, I shared with you uh, what Bill Clinton's um, campaign consultant and political advisor, Dick Morris, thought about all of this. He basically said that this was the Washington Post's and ABC News' way of telling the DNC they needed to dump Biden and find somebody else to compete against Trump. Well, I think we've got another one of these from another major news outlet, the New York Times. Here's a snapshot from the review of the survey. Trump is ahead in five swing states. Five of the six swing states. He's leading Biden in Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. All states Biden won in 2020, allegedly. And Biden only leads Trump by 2% in the final battleground state of Wisconsin. Other than asking participants for whom they would vote, another question they asked was, do you think the United States is on the right track or is it headed in the wrong direction? In all six of those battleground states, the vast majority said we're headed in the wrong direction. And the numbers hold true across all demographics of age and gender, ethnicity, etc. The survey showed that most people in each of these states are, quote, almost certain they will participate in the next presidential election. But here's another crazy find in the survey. In a matchup between Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis, DeSantis beats Biden in four battleground states and ties him in the other two. They did another matchup between Trump and Kamala Harris. Trump beats her in all six states. Then they inserted RFK Jr. into the mock poll and the results there are really interesting. RFK, of course, doesn't win any of the six states, but Trump ties Biden in Arizona and Pennsylvania. He beats him in Georgia, Michigan, and, and Nevada, and loses in Wisconsin. That means that for voters in those six states, Robert Kennedy Jr. subtracted enough votes from Trump to cause a toss-up in Arizona and Pennsylvania. Now, I'm still going to stick to my historical theory and say that RFK ultimately takes more from Biden in the end, but Trump has an important tactical move to make right here, right now. The people that Trump loses to RFK are the people who long for the good old days of bipartisan politics which are unfortunately gone. RFK sort of embodies that, uh, even though he's, he's quite liberal. He's just, he's just not as liberal as, and, and as wildly pro progressive as Biden and his ilk. So 
Trump needs to either hone in on that for when he ultimately attacks him, or you don't attack him at all. Pretend he's just a non-factor. Some commentators have suggested offering him some sort of cabinet position. I think that's a terrible idea, but I do think it's a good idea for Trump to not attack him in the same fashion as he typically does with others. Now, just to support this whole dump Biden theory, David Axelrod, a political commentator for CNN and someone who uh, used to work for President Obama, tweeted the results of this poll, the New York Times poll, and said, It's very late to change horses. A lot will happen in the next year that no one can predict. And Biden's team says his resolve to run is firm. This, meaning the poll, will send tremors of doubt through the party, not bedwetting, but legitimate concern. The greatest concern is that his biggest liability is the one thing he can't change. Among all the unpredictables, there is one thing that is sure. The age arrow only points in one direction. Only Biden can make this decision. If he continues to run, he will be the nominee of the Democrat Party. What he needs to decide is whether that is wise, whether it's in his best interest or the country's. And yet another story that confirms this movement to oust Biden or Trump's legitimate gaining of steam and momentum is that Trump was invited by Ukrainian President Zelensky to come visit Ukraine. Newsmax reports that Trump's reply was, I have great respect for President Zelensky, but I think it would be inappropriate to go to Ukraine at this time. So we'll see if Joe steps or stumbles out of the way for someone else to run. But the two questions then become who would replace him and who would have a chance to beat him. It's clearly not Kamala Harris. I mean, beat Trump. Uh, Gruesome Newsom has the worst record as governor in the entire country, almost as bad as Andrew Cuomo. Will Michelle Obama reveal herself as a trans male and run as Obama 2.0? Well, I'm just kidding. But seriously, who in the world could they run to defeat the evil, Hitlerian, orange, fascistic, dictatorial, genocidal, mean-tweeting, mobster, racist, misogynistic Donald Trump? Speaking of Donald Trump, the Donald has announced his plans for a patriotic, university-like free education for all Americans. Americans have been horrified to see students and faculty at Harvard and other once-respected universities expressing support for the savages and jihadists who attacked Israel. We spend more money on higher education than any other country, and yet They're turning our students into communists and terrorists and sympathizers of many, many different dimensions. We can't let this happen. It's time to offer something dramatically different. Under the plan I'm announcing today, we will take the billions and billions of dollars that we will collect by taxing, fining, and suing excessively large private university endowments. And we will then use that money to endow a new institution called the American Academy, Its mission will be to make a truly world-class education available to every American, free of charge, and do it without adding a single dime to the federal debt. 
This institution will gather an entire universe of the highest quality educational content covering the full spectrum of human knowledge and skills and make that material available to every American citizen online for free. Whether you want lectures or ancient histories or an introduction to financial accounting or training in a skilled trade, the goal will be to deliver it and get it done properly using study groups, mentors, industry partnerships, and the latest breakthrough in computing. This will be a truly top-tier education option for the people. It will be strictly non-political, and there will be no wokeness or jihadism allowed. None of that's going to be allowed. Most importantly, the American Academy will compete directly with the existing and very costly four-year university system by granting students degree credentials that the U.S. government and all federal contractors will henceforth recognize. The Academy will award the full and complete equivalent of a bachelor's degree. In addition to help the 40 million Americans who have some college education but no degree, the American Academy will grant credit for past coursework at legacy institutions and give you the chance to complete your education at the American Academy for free and much more quickly than is now possible or available. This will be a revolution in higher education and will provide life-changing opportunities for tens of millions of our citizens. Enjoy it, learn from it, and thank you. The American Academy. What do you all think? Now, I may be the only conservative, lowercase c, that you hear say this, but I don't think part of this, part of it, is a good idea, and it's the free part. Trump said we will take the billions and billions of dollars that we will collect by taxing, fining, and suing excessively large private university endowments, and we will then use that money to endow a new institution called the American Academy. He's talking about the many universities in the United States who receive money from the federal government in the form of both tax-exempt donations and investments. The amounts vary from school to school. The school that receives the most annually, which Trump just referenced in his announcement, is Harvard University, which received, get this, over $50 billion last year. The other most um, federally funded schools are Yale, Stanford, Princeton, Pennsylvania, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Michigan, Duke, Cornell, even Vanderbilt received over $9 billion last year. In other words, there's plenty of money there that can be reallocated to make this happen, but here's my problem. There ain't no such thing as free. Just as Biden can't cancel student loan debt, Trump can't offer you free school. Biden's cancellation of, of student loan debt is, is, in reality land, it's redistributing student loan debt to all of the taxpayers in the country. Well, Trump's free school plan in reality land is just taking the money which the federal government takes from taxpayers and gives to liberal indoctrination mills and gives it to Trump's American Academy. In other words, we are all paying for it. It's not free. Now, don't get me wrong, I love the idea of the school. In fact, it reminds me of places like Hillsdale College. But the fact 
the, the part that I don't like is that it's free. How about instead of it being free, you make it affordable? That's really the big problem with tuition in all of these universities. The ridiculously high cost of tuition and other costs, which racks up insane debt for graduates. And I say this because something, something means more when someone has to sacrifice for it. When someone pays for something, they've got skin in the game, they've got a stake in the company, and making something free also kind of communicates the wrong message to a lot of people. Free equals something that's low quality or, or not really worth your time. So I love the idea for the academy, but make it cost something. Well, that's gonna do it for me. What'll it be next time? We'll see. For now, go and be the salt and light you were meant to be, and we will see you next time on We The Free.